1: All right, and welcome to another edition of the Regular Guy radio show brought to you by none other than Winning Ponies. And Winning Ponies, we hope you're pulling down the easy wind forms. Earlier today, uh, we had a nice one out at Los Al, 50 cent, super high five paid $1,708. That was just a couple hours ago. Happy to report that. And we had a good, good two day uh, back on the 20th. So it was just two days ago. Uh, Finger Lakes, we did really well. Uh, It it was a 20 cent pick Six that paid eight hundred and thirty dollars and a fifty cent pick five returned seven hundred and eighty six so the easy win forms are doing well you come on over check them out at winningponies.com you'll be able to see uh, our selections and you get to see the results Uh, don't forget I hope you're enjoying these shows we got two great guests for you this evening I'll intro them here in just a minute but Of course, you can come to winningponies.com and get it, but if for whatever reason you can't get in, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, a real big one that's easy to get to is iHeartRadio, we're on Spotify, Amazon Music, and you can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, that's Winning Ponies, the place that the regular guy radio show emanates from. All right, so who do you got tonight, John? Well, our go-to guy in Las Vegas, Rich Ng, is going to join us again. And uh, I, I've told you many times that uh, Rich is the author of Handicapping for Dummies. Well, he did so well, uh, they wanted him to come out with a second edition. But, <laughs> A lot has happened in about 10 years i think that's when the first one came out we'll check with rich uh so he had a lot of re-editing to do uh luckily he called out on uh, somebody he knows for some new photos to spruce the book up so we'll let you know when the new handicapping for dummies is coming out maybe a, a great christmas present for anybody you know that might be thinking about uh, you know sticking their toe in the water rich pretty much uh hold your hand uh, through the uh, entire process it's just a really good uh everything from speed figures to horse id track conditions how to factor in uh, surfaces surface changers training angles everything you need to know that's important about racing is put in a very simple manner by Rich Eng in Handicapping for Dummies. So uh, we're not only gonna talk about that, we're gonna talk about this outstanding card at Parks. Okay, ding, 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 write it down, folks. You're supposed to have your pens and paper out for this edition of Winning Ponies. Um, At Parks, they're gonna have no less than 10 stakes races. It's going to start at 12.05, 13 races total, 10 of them stakes, two grade ones, the grade one cotillion, the grade one PA Derby, and involved in that pick three is probably the most challenging of the three, the Gallant Bob. So uh, I hope uh, Rich uh, gave a second look to that because I need all the help I can get with the Gallant Bob, and so will you. Don't forget, why should I watch all these races, John? Well, there's stakes makes it a lot better to handicap. Your money disappears into the big pools. And you're going to see some of the best horses in training. In the Pennsylvania Derby, uh, we're going to see the rematch of the Haskell. That turned out to be a head bob in that field of 11 between Cyberknife and Taba. Now, two horses that uh, you don't want to totally overlook in this race, of course, those two are the headliners. But I think Zandon is still pretty sneaky good. And you know what? White Aberio, who is one of the hot horses going into the Derby Trail, coming off his wins in the Holy Bull and the Florida Derby, uh, uh, just like so many horses didn't fire in the Kentucky Derby and also didn't fire in the Haskell at all. He just gave way, but Saffy Joseph has him working really well up at Saratoga and he looks like he's ready for a big return. So two upsetters could be in there, Zandon and White Aberrario, but Cyberknife and Taba, they will be the headliners. We'll be talking to Rich Eng about that race and the other million dollar grade one race on the card is the cotillion john who are the headliners in there well watch out for a guy by the name of bob baffert because he hopes to come back into town with a really nice filly by the name of Adair manor now uh lately ray six starts has only been off the board once in her career and this is one of the horses that was uh, moved to the barn of Tim Yankteen, and then Sean McCarthy, and now back with Baffert. And, of course, we're seeing <laughs> bullet workouts at Del Mar. No big surprise there. But he, believe it or not, is not the headliner. The headliner is a horse trained by Hall of Famer D. Wayne Lucas by the name of Secret Oath. She's now won over $1.6 million. Thank God. Nest is not in this race because she just can't get by Nest and either the Alabama or the Coaching Club America Oaks. But don't forget, folks, she did win the Kentucky Oaks. So those are the two headliners in the cotillion. And as far as the Gallant Bob, we're going to leave that up to Rich. All right. Now, depending on who you subscribe to, uh, as you may or may not know, the Keeneland September salesman going on, And the first couple of days, book one, just incredible. Million-dollar horse after million-dollar horse after million-dollar horse. Right now, there's been over 3,000 horses sold. And so uh, Joe Nevels, it's his job to track it. Uh, Obviously, his uh, attention wanes a bit after book one. But we'll be telling him who are the heavy hitters and what's up with Quality Road because, man, his babies must have been looking great because they all brought... Very high prices. All right, let's look at our results and our guests. Don't forget our buddy Rich Strike. He's coming back in the Lucas Classic. That's going to be next week, and maybe we'll get lucky and uh, see if we can't land trainer Eric Reed back on the show to talk about uh, the pressure he's been under and how well Richie's doing coming up to the Lucas Classic. Uh, But in there, he's gonna meet one hell of an older horse. This will be his first time, three and up, and gonna meet Hot Rod Charlie. And uh, as you know, he's certainly no slouch out of the Doug O'Neill barn, been everywhere all over the world. And uh, he will be a stout contender We'll see who sets the pace for the race that hopefully will set up for Rich Strike. It's gonna be a very busy weekend. We're gonna get the rest of those stakes before I get some news out of the way. Remember Cezanne, boy, they were talking about him being the next uh, flight line now, I guess we could say. Uh, Actually, he had to be put down after a fungal infection. Uh, He was a $3.65 million purchase. As a two-year-old, that was just three years ago. Uh, So they discovered this infection in June in the barn of Todd Pletcher. Uh, Originally, he was on the West Coast um, and was trained by Bob Baffert, one during the kerfuffle that got moved. And uh, so uh, while he served a suspension, Cezanne had been moved over, uh, but he never did make a start for Pletcher pletcher and i did make it to the hayguard uh, clinic in lexington where he was put down but whew, 3.5 3.65 million dollar baby now some of last week's race results thanks so much to ernie perry uh, the clocker up at woodbine fantastic guest and uh, we got to see something special in the eight hundred dollar Pattison Summer Stakes. It's a grade one. Remember the miles up there are one turn. Whew. Charles Appleby and William Buick brought this beautiful Bay Colton and just romped. Look for a mysterious knight, who's only a two year old Colt, to be the heavy favorite. And the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Very, very impressive. Appraise got the second spot. And uh, Philip, my dear, got the third. We had the Super, but it sure wasn't much of one. But anyhow, remember the name Mysterious Night, the Irish Bread. Then the Woodbine Mile, and the winner in there, the next great horse to watch on the turf from the Appleby Barn uh, is Modern Games. I don't know who was more impressive, uh, Mysterious Night or Modern Games. Probably have to give the odd to Modern Games, who happened to come over and race in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf last year and won away and run with William Buick in the saddle Modern Games wins the Woodbine Mile and won over the hearts of a lot of people getting ready to make their Breeders' Cup bets. And then we had the Natalma. And in the Natalma, how about this for an upset last call? Blinkers on for Kevin Attard. I believe this is the last crop of the Great Grass Sire English Channel. Got the call at 21 to 1 last call beating Cairo Consort who was the slight favorite and in the third spot the only one to win of the route G. Laurie ran third so uh, that's a look at uh, some of the results let's not forget the two year olds were down at Churchill and uh, Curly Jack put in a bit of an upset and don't forget this is a points race and uh, you know the owner. He we won two times there. Uh, Mike McLaughlin, a graduate of Notre Dame, they won. Then later in the day, so did his runner Curly Jack. Uh, first taste of victory, rallied for a length over Honed in the Iroquois Stakes. Now th- this uh, upset earned him to go to next year's Kentucky Derby. This is the first of the derby points for the boys, and uh, as you know from what we learned last year, every point counts. Now, disappointing in the race were the two big uh, names, Uh, the debut winner, Echo, again, coming out of his uh, debut at Saratoga, and the Saratoga special stakes winner, Damon's Mound or don't forget that first time they were asking me and go long and they weren't able to but Curly Jack was and then let's uh, talk about the girls in the Pocahontas that was an Oaks Points race and it was fun and feisty circling the field in the Pocahontas to get the job done Judy and Leigh Peru up for Kenny McPeak and thinking about breeding the moat donnie gall well you won't get to watch him run anymore but for twenty thousand dollars you can breed to him down to spendthrift farm it has been announced that that is where he's going to go upon his retirement well that pretty much catches us up with the national news a overlook of this week's guest and uh, a peek at the races we're going to be looking at so with no further ado quick break and we come back Good friend of mine, a sensational author, guy that's been awful busy. I think he's on edit number 30 for his latest update. We'll be talking to none other than Rich Ng. I'm John Englehart. You've been listening to Winning Ponies. <clears throat>
2: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll free. 1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you have any tips or comments you'd like to share any questions we would be happy to answer contact us now back to the show Winning Ponies with John Inglehart.
1: alright and with us a man who has been everywhere man And his name is Richard Ng. Rich has been great with us over the past couple of years uh, with the pandemic, whatever the hell you want to call that, that two-year hiatus where none of us want to remember, uh, telling us what was going on in Las Vegas because it certainly had an impact there. And Rich was great. He brought us all along, brought us through the demise, and he brought us back to the rebirth, which is where we're at now. It's a thing of the past, but a thing of the future is our conversation with Rich Ng. Rich, welcome back again to Winning Ponies.
3: Hey, always a pleasure, John. Always a pleasure to be on with you. And uh, yeah, that, that pandemic era was pretty, pretty nasty for all of us. Uh, hard to believe the casinos were closed for quite a few months. But uh, knock on wood, twenty twenty two, we are back in full speed ahead. So it's great to see the town vibrant again.
1: Good. It's great to see the world vibrant again. I remember, remember when we a couldn't go to the races. And B, mm-hmm. then later on when they changed the rules, it was real like you pretty much had to give up, uh, you know, your footprints, your fingerprints, a DNA sample. It, <laughs> I mean, it, it got to the point that it wasn't worth it even for the media to go down there and fight it. And uh, thank God that's over. And, uh, you know, I, I've been to the races in a few tracks since, and things are alive and well where they're racing live. Well, Rich, listen, I've. I've name dropped this book enough during our interviews over the years and it's part of that whole blank for dummies series of which i could pretty much read them all and gain some information but you wrote (laughs) handicapping for dummies and i asked you off air and i didn't get a chance i'm thinking you wrote that 10 years ago am i close
3: oh a lot more i i wrote the, the 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 official title is betting on horse racing for dummies And I wrote it during the year 2004, and it came out in the spring of 2005. So it's been, uh, you know, closing in on 20 years, two decades. And um, I'm writing a second edition of Betting on Horse Racing for Dummies. And John, uh, everything's on schedule. I'm real busy, but uh, we hope to have the book out in uh, bookstores and online right before Christmas.
1: I mean, it's really hard to imagine now because technology creeps up on us, you know, and we're almost used to it now. Twenty years ago, we were like, wow, I can touch my phone and it'll do this. <laughs> you know, I can go to this Internet and it'll tell me who won the 1958 World Series. Um so, so much has happened over the last decade. Uh, how difficult was I mean, there's some things that aren't going to change. Looking at a horse, track conditions, surface changers, trainer angles, jockey angles. But you've got some new things going into the game. Um, I don't know whether or not you had to address the changes in medication. Um, I don't know how if how you had to address all of the new uh, just the volumes of, uh, you know, sheets and you know places you can go uh, to get your information from. Uh, how hard was that in catching everybody up as to where to go? And let's face it, you no know, sooner put it in print and there was a new one coming in tomorrow.
3: Yeah, there was a lot. A lot has changed between 2004 and 2022. I'll give you a perfect example. When I wrote the book in 2004, there was a brand new bet that was just coming out. It was called the Pick Five <laughs> because there was, there was a Pick Four and a Pick Six, but believe it or not, the Pick Five was a relatively new bet in the early 2000s. So I, I spent some time writing about that. And, you know, the pandemic, uh, one thing that it, uh, it germinated as far as horse players, uh, it made a lot of players feel comfortable betting at home. And uh, so there's less people going to the racetrack, less people going to the OTBs, but a lot more people are participating at home. So I spent more time writing about that and the, uh, the abilities to watch the races either on the TVG or Fox Sports or on the, your computer and using the phone apps. I mean, a lot of the technology has just exploded in the last couple of decades. So there's just a couple of examples right there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Rich, you can't poo-poo that. Just last week, I believe I was reading a story from Eric Wing on horse tourneys. And the guy that had won the horse tourney, of course, they're interviewing him after. And and they're saying, you know, tell us a little bit about your past. He says, well, I got turned on to the sport during the pandemic. He says, I was looking for something to do. And outside of South Korean baseball, that was it. And, here the guy is two years later and he's winning horse tourney. So obviously <laughs> you can go to a place like your book and read the basics and then watch mm-hmm. it in play. You know, take baby steps, do your $2 show bets till you get a little confidence and and work your way up. But uh, to me, Rich, it would almost be like having to rewrite the whole book after that many years. But like I said, I mean, there's certain things that, let's face it, uh, you know, surfaces and distance changes, uh, you, you know, jockey trainer angles that will always be with us. And I don't think will drastically change. I just think it's a matter of monitoring them right.
3: Well, you, you touched on something that also was brand new in the last two decades, the uh, synthetic surfaces. I mean, that wasn't around back then. So uh, I, I know I, I interviewed Michael Dickinson of uh, Capita Footings, and uh, wow. that has looked to become the uh, the front and center synthetic surface in this country and maybe around the world. But uh, but that, that was something that's brand new, too. So I had to spend some time writing about
1: that. Well, when I took my trip to Saratoga a couple of weeks ago, I did stop. Um, across the street. Ironically, that my hotel was across the street from Presque Isle. And I'll tell you what, the Tapeta the, the, the track uh, there, you, you don't even hear them go over it, Rich. It's amazing. I mean, you'd think you'd at least hear a pound, uh, you know, the hooves pound. This thing's like them running on a shag carpet. It's amazing.
3: Yeah, Michael is so proud of the uh, safety record of the Teppetta surface. Uh, he, he, statistically, it, it has proven... The lower injuries versus compared to dirt and compared to turf and um it's really uh it's really a marvel so uh it's it's something that's you know for example Gulfstream Park put one in and uh they did it probably for economic reasons just as much as safety because now when races come off the grass they switch them over to PETA and I, I heard some rumors out in New York that uh, they're thinking about possibly uh creating uh, one of the surfaces and I'm not even sure which track but uh, it probably would either be Aqueduct or Belmont, but having it to Peter Surface there. So it's at least being looked at. I won't say it's going to happen, but we're at least investigating it.
1: Well, while you've got your ear to the ground out there, uh, and we will get to the races at parks here in a minute, um, I, I'm hearing things about Flightline, your West Coast Superman, <laughs> racing, r- racing next year. Well, what have your sources told you? You know what I've heard all kinds of rumors, but there's only a few
3: people who know the truth, or no, I won't say the truth, but know exactly uh, what direction they're going to go. And one of them is John Sadler, and the other are the the people that uh, that own the horse. I know the um, West Point Thoroughbred, I believe, has a piece and own is stable. But um, you know the economics of the game. I know I'll, there's been a, a rush to get some of these horses to. Uh, to uh, stud and uh, start making money as, as, as a stallion. But when you look at a couple of pots, if these people were willing to travel for the $20 million race in uh, what's it, Saudi Arabia or Dubai or something, I mean, you could actually make that kind of money on the racetrack now. Pegasus World Cup is another example. I believe the purse is something like 8 or $10 million. So there are some pots out there that a horse like Flightline, if he points for them and is able to, to win them, could actually do better than it stood, at least for, for one year, John. So we'd love to see it. Obviously, we want to see our stars stay on the racetrack.
1: Yeah, I, I think it would be great. And I think, you know, it only enhanced this horse's historical perspective. Because the only knock on him, you can't knock an undefeated horse that wins by double digits every time, is that, and, it, and it's Sadler's prerogative, rightly so, is the way his races are spaced. Enough people just haven't gotten a chance to see the horse run.
3: Yeah, that's 100% correct. I uh, had read some comments about why the American public doesn't get more excited about a horse like this, and some of the answers I, I read, actually, I agree with 100%. It, it's not like he's secretariat running every four, five, six weeks. Uh, he's running like every four, five, six months. <laughs> and It's hard to get excited over a, a horse that just runs so seldom. I know the the races that he has run are absolutely electrifying, but they're so seldom, so spaced out that um, he just hasn't created the kind of buzz, you would think, with a superstar animal.
1: I know. Although the Europeans certainly have recognized it. Right now, he's recognized as the wonder one, number one horse in the world. And those guys are hard to impress over there. So <laughs> it's good to know somebody's watching for a change. But, uh, Rich, we got, you know, Vegas... It, as far as I know, you guys don't have your own racetrack yet, but you cover racetracks from everywhere and I mean New Zealand, Hong Kong, the Netherlands, trotting at midnight, whatever. Uh but the the races at parks, I mean, you can forget any other racetrack in the country's racing. Thirteen races starts shortly after noon with five consecutive graded races. This is going to be a field day in the Philadelphia area.
3: Yeah. I, I tell you what, when, when you see, when you, uh, you know, I'll, I'll uh, backtrack this a second. When you saw the purses that were coming out of uh, Kentucky downs, it pretty much makes these other tracks raise their game, raise their level to try to exceed that because, uh, you know, the money being handed in Kentucky, out in Kentucky was unbelievable, but this card on Saturday uh, has really, uh, you know, met the challenge, and uh, it's just outstanding. Big purses, and uh, it should be fun. I mean, if people haven't bet parks before, I, I think they'll uh, they'll get a kick out of betting these kind of horses, these kind of
1: races. Well, the, these distance races will be going around two turns. Let's go right to the headliner uh, before – Anything might happen where we had to cut this short, which I don't expect. But it, it is the Pennsylvania Derby. Uh, though it's a derby, it's only in a mile and an eighth. But it is limited to grade threes, million dollars on the line. And the obvious, uh, you know, magnifying glass uh, seems to gravitate towards uh, Cyberknife and Tava. And what a great race we were treated to in the Haskell Stakes when, uh, you know, it, Taba, uh, who wasn't where he wanted to be from everything I've heard from Mike Smith, uh, still managed to put in a fantastic late run and just missed by a head, Bob, with Cyberknife, the Brad Cox trainee, getting the nod. Uh, it's, it, it looks like it's between those two, but not so quick there, kids. I'm telling you, uh, 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 the Rodney Dangerfield of this crop <laughs> – I think, is Zandon. That horse has been knocking on the door every time. And he's usually probably, he's come from way, way out of it, but he's also run really good, graded stakes races up on the engine. So I I don't know what his choice is going to be on Saturday uh, against the likes of Cyberknife and Taba. And, uh, you know, who knows if Safi Joseph found the key to, uh, White Abario um, seems like he just can't string two races together anymore as he was earlier in the season. So what's your read in this race? Or should we just concentrate on on Tabe and Cyberknife putting in a great rematch of the Haskell?
3: Well, uh, you know, I think your listeners would want to hear more than uh, just those two horses because even Ray Charles could figure out Cyberknife and Uh, <laughs> uh But, but, uh, one of the horses you mentioned is a horse that I think has a big shot is Zandon, and uh, I really liked him in the Travers, and uh, he actually got, had a pretty good trip, but he just didn't really fire it in late, but uh, he continues to to, to show progress. I think he's got a lot of talent, and uh, the parks can be a little quirky at times, especially for horses shipping in and running over it for the first time. And uh, who knows, maybe Zandon will like the main track better than the other two. He's going to be a square price. He's 5-1 to one in the morning line. But uh, I'll tell you, a bigger price horse that is going to be on all my tickets, and I hope he runs big again, is um, you, you mentioned Saffy Joseph Jr., but I'm going to the other Saffy Joseph Jr., the number four, Skippy Longstocking. Uh-huh. I love his race in the West Virginia Derby. Um, he really gritted it out and uh, fought hard to, to get up under with Edgar Gonzalez riding. He comes back. But uh, he's 10 to 1. And if he can run back to that race, if he can put two races together in a row like that, he has a chance to be right there, too, at a big price. So um, Zandon, the one, and the four Skippy Longstocking are two price plays that are going to be on my tickets.
1: All right. Well, we talked about the two headliners there. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the two headliners in the cotillion. It'll be kind of neat, you know. I mean, everybody's been behind D. Wayne Lucas this year. But let me tell you, he he sure proved that uh, it's been no fluke with Secret Oath. And how happy was he when he got the overnight and saw the word nest was not listed in the (laughs) the cotillion?
3: Uh, you know, you know, John. I was really—I uh, know—Todd uh, Pletcher had done some interviews, r- you know, right after uh, uh, Saratoga win, and uh, he was talking about—he uh, was asked about what the future held, and he mentioned early on that he wasn't going to go to the Cotillion, and kind of surprised me because if you look at the Cotillion history, I think Pletcher's won the race at least three times and used it oh. as a prep for three-year-old fillies to go on to the Breeders' Cup. So I was kind of surprised. He didn't do it a fourth time or, or try with Nest because the, the timing of the race is perfect. It's a million-dollar purse. Um, he, you know, you get plenty of rest between now and uh, the Breeders' Cup at uh, Keeneland. It kind of fits, so it'll be interesting to see where she shows up unless they're going to train her up into the Breeders' Cup. But, uh, you yeah, know, the Secret Oath is probably thrilled. Wayne Lucas is thrilled that uh, he doesn't have to go up against Nest. And, uh, but there's, I think there's a couple animals here who might uh, be worthwhile at, at a price. Yeah.
1: Well, let's, let's hear about them, Rich, because, uh, <laughs> it's the cotillion and there's only nine in the field. And we know that we both like secret oath.
3: Yeah. Secret oath is certainly the one to beat. Uh, I think one of the price horses that I'm going to like a little bit is uh, the three goddess of fire who chased nest and secret oath last time in the Alabama, Todd Fletcher again, and, uh, you know, Todd trained Ness. Ness is not here, but uh, Goddess of Fire is. So maybe uh, he knows something that we don't as far as running this horse by uh, herself and not the, uh, not the big one in the stable. And uh, a horse who's uh, an interesting price is the number seven, Shahama. I know two back, this horse ran second to Gerrymander, who is also in this race. But the way the two horses, Gerrymander and Shahama, are coming up to the race, I actually like Shahama better Uh Todd Pletcher sent her to, uh, Monmouth and she won the Monmouth Oaks in handy fashion. And now, uh, Flavian Pratt uh, jumps on and she's eight to one. And, um, you know, Pletcher is so dangerous. Uh, you know, any big trainer like him, when uh, they have, uh, this kind of ammunition in a race and they're going off at a price and, you know, Secret Oath might be, uh, you know, I think two to one is probably a, a pipe dream. I, I really think she's going to be closer to even money or six to five. You know, if you're sniffing around for a little more value. Uh, you know, Todd Fletcher with a couple of price horses, you know,
1: why not? Absolutely. And John Velasquez is is making the trip into town uh, on Goddess of Fire. Well, all I can say is it, it, it's great. I was going to ask you about the gallant Bob, but we've run out of time. And to be honest, Rich, I think with what we've talked about off the air, this is either your all race or where you look for your bomb. If you liked any of the aforementioned horses and you're thinking about playing a pick three, I think you're going to find your money horse in the grade two, uh, six furlong, gallant bob because, man, I cannot separate these horses, Rich.
3: Well, I'll I'll volunteer one horse before I leave uh, you and the listeners. Uh, The number nine, running son of a gun. Luis Saez picks up the mount. He rode this horse um, uh, four back for uh, John Toscano, but uh, this horse ran pretty well in the Jorkins. That was a race dominated by Jack Christopher, who uh, is one of the top three-year-olds. And uh, After um, after the Haskell, uh, the, the Chad Brown has shortened this horse back up again, but that was a pretty good race coming out of the uh, Jerkins. So I, I think the nine might be real interesting at six to one.
1: Okay, that's one of the 11 horses you need to put in, and the Gallant Bob, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> hey, You're Rich. right about that. Hey, normally at the top of the top of the intro, I, I, I give the way people can reach out and contact you uh, as we close out here because they're telling me I only got 30 seconds. Uh, give us real quick how people would uh, uh, get a hold of Rich Eng and, uh, and, and listen to him. I don't know if you're ever going to be on with uh, with our other buddy you hang out uh, down there with, Ralph Sirocco, or give us some contacts before we let you go
3: well if uh you know they can actually reach me on the uh, homepage, homepage, which is raceday las vegas dot com and uh, I tell you what I, I don't even mind if people just email me at the, my email address it's rich underscore eng at yahoo dot com rich underscore eng e n spelling of my last name at yahoo.com i'd welcome any any inquiries
1: How's that for an approachable guest, okay? Well, listen, I, I'll, I'll get the sneaking into all the women's rooms on 75 and sketch that number in there for you. Good time, Rich.
3: Uh, <laughs> It'd be like a Tommy not, tune.
1: Now, now that you've given it out, hey, listen, thanks a lot. My time for this segment's up, but I love hearing your voice. Uh, best of luck with the sec- second edition of your book. And, uh, hey, maybe when we get closer to Christmas, we can talk about it coming out and how nice that would be to be under the tree for some promising horse players.
3: Yep, it's a, it's a great book to get people introduced to horse racing. And I know, John, you and I, we we love the game, and we like to share that passion with others,
1: all right. Thanks so much, Rich Yang, our man in Las Vegas. And now our man from Georgetown, Kentucky. No, not Michael Blowing. Joe Nevels is going to be joining us in the next segment. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice
4: America.
2: Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Winning Ponies with John Inglehart.
1: All right, and welcome back. I uh, thank uh, Rich Eng for joining us. And now a gentleman that I only know not only is a f- professional and a good one at that since he's an Eclipse Award winner, but I know him as a regular guy, a regular Joe, none other than regular Joe Neville's. How are you, Joe? It's been a while. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing real good.
4: That's uh regular Joe Nevels. I might have to put that one on my business card. That might have to, you know, if I ever become like a professional wrestler or something like maybe that'll be my nickname is, you know, coming to the ring, regular Joe Neville's.
1: I, I, I don't know it. if it's got I,
4: that same ring to it.
1: I I like it. Oh, you've certainly got my endorsement. <laughs> you know, I'll start thinking about t-shirts and stuff. That's it. There we go. But, I just won't mess with any new hats. I know you got your special hat there that's gotten you through life. Yeah, the, the, the crystal new hat's got to stay. Yes. Well, we we can work around that. We can work around that. But anyhow, Joe, you, you know, some people might say you, probably 20 years ago you would have been a kid in the in in the candy store with five bucks, uh, being down at the Keeneland sale. But now. Hmm. I mean, you got to have your head on a swivel. Uh, just, uh, just kind of, if you can, which is next to impossible, but just kind of encapsulize with us some of the headliners, and then remind me that I have a question for you about the sale.
4: Well, I'll try my best. But first off, the first thing I can tell you is that today, this year's Keeneland September sale, with two sessions left to go, became the highest-grossing edition. In the auction's history, so they've brought in more money through the auction ring during the 2022 sale than they have in any edition previous, and we still got two days of selling left to go. Now, granted, those are book six sessions, so these are the basically the bottom of the barrel in terms of offerings. You're not going to see any million-dollar horses or anything, but that's still really impressive. We are en route to an all-time renewal of the Keeneland September sale, I believe. Averages upright. I know average is up. I think it's going to be close to a record itself. Median is doing extremely well. Uh, the number of seven-figure horses that have gone through the ring is as high as it's ever been. And it's not just a top-of-the-market thing. Uh, I've been you know, in the back ring for the middle to late books, and it's just as busy as it was during the first million-dollar sessions. This has been a strong auction from top to bottom, and it's really cool to see.
1: Well, it it is because it tells me there's there's money still being infused into the game, but uh, are a lot of these horses going to be put on an international flight and taken to places elsewhere than North America?
4: A lot of the very top ones have been bought domestically, but there uh, have been some Japanese buyers that have bought very high. Um, There was actually a half-brother to Justify by Curlin that sold to uh, Japanese owner Hideyuki Mori for $1.2 million early on in the sale. Uh, when the Coolmore partnership buys, they could run them in the U.S. or they could take them over to Europe. Um, you know, As you get lower, you start, start seeing more South American buyers come in, Middle Eastern buyers come in. So there's going to be plenty of horses going all over the world. The Kimmel September sale is one of the most broadly international sales in the world and it's always fascinating walking around and just hearing all the languages being spoke, just passing from you know area to area.
1: Absolutely. Now what, what I've seen uh, in I'll just call it a current trend, it might be 10 years old, but I, I see that the, the American buyers are kind of tired of banging each other's heads and then watching, perhaps a big money outfit from another part of the world come in and take the jewel from the crown. And it seems to me like a lot of these big guys that used to bid against themselves are now going, hey, let's not bang our heads against the wall. Let's go in as a team. And it seems like we're seeing more and more of that with some of the larger uh, farms and buyers in North America.
4: Absolutely. And there's sort of two different trends going on here. Uh, first, as you mentioned, a lot of major owners are getting together and, you know, pooling their resources. And instead of each of them buying five horses, they're getting together and buying 20 horses. And a lot of them are buying them with the hope of, you know, getting a stallion prospect and being able to pull all of that money back. And then some, um, you know, you see that with multiple groups. Now there's, you know, the ones uh you know, Starlight Racing, uh Matiket and SF Bloodstock. I know that uh Ripoli and St. Elias Stables have their own group. Um there's the uh BSW Crow with uh Brad Cox. That group has been buying heavily and been partnering up. Uh West Point Thoroughbreds teamed up with Woodford Racing and some other people to, you know, punch at the highest levels. So that's one part of it. They've started to team up more and also, a lot of the traditional powerhouses of the past are starting to age out or transition into, you know, other areas of the bloodstock world. You know, Shadwell, uh, you know, their owner Sheikh Hamdan died a few years ago, and they've really tamped down how many seven, you know, how many horses they're purchasing at auction. They've just started buying again at the higher levels. Uh, Godolphin hasn't bought at a high level this year as they have in the past, where you know. When Sheikh Mohammed would come through the door at Keeneland, you knew that everyone was going to be in for a brawl because he wasn't going home without every horse that he wanted. So the marketplace is evolving in many different ways, and judging by the numbers, it seems to be working.
1: And, Joe, one thing uh, I- I'm seeing about Godolphin, and uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like they have spent oh, I'm going to say 15 years, it's probably even more, buying the best of the best. And now I think they're seeing results of that through their own breeding program. So maybe they're making the million-dollar babies and they don't have to go buy them.
4: Oh, that's absolutely a factor. I mean, they're the leading breeder by graded stakes winners, and it's not even close. You know, their homebred program is so strong that – Unless they see something out there that they want, they don't have to venture outward because they have the best, you know, among, the best, if not among the best bloodlines, you know, going right now. They obviously have some of the best stallions in the world at their, you know, Jonabell base in Lexington. So they don't have to venture out of their own, you know, property to breed the best of the best. So if they don't feel the need to go to auction, they don't have to.
1: No. And if they feel like making a million dollars, they could just say, hey, pick one of those horses out and bring them up. Because, yeah, they're, totally. they're, I mean, you know, the bloodlines are just impeccable. Well, Joe, we could talk about yeah. the sale for the whole segment, but I, I don't want to because I love well, your You white. You, you had a question you were oh, going to ask. I me did. First. I was, did. That, was that sale related? No, no, no. The, the question, and thanks for reminding me, was. What's up with Quality Road? I mean, he's always been a fantastic substantial sire, but this year the demand for his horses that are bringing home million dollars is like any other year I can recall before.
4: Yeah, he really took it up a notch this year. He's always or I shouldn't say always, but he's for the last, you know, 5 plus years, he's been among the top, you know, commercial racetrack sires but this year he took it to a completely different level uh leading sire by average sale price with you know more than one sold his he had 37 full sell at this year, yearling sell at this year's sale average sale price five hundred and thirty three thousand dollars he has the sale topper which i believe was 2.7 million 2.5 million so people respect him and i mean it's absolutely earned. he can throw you any kind of horse that you are looking for he can throw you a good turf horse he can throw you a good colt he can throw you a good filly, router sprinter i mean all you have to do is look at city of light if you haven't been out to lane's end and look at city of light who's a son of quality road look at him in the flesh and just pick your job off the ground i don't know what to tell you <laughs> because that horse is just exactly what you would want to see I love going to Lane's end and just like bringing him out of the stall just to look at him. And City of Light has proven that Quality Road can be a sire of sires. And I think that's something else that gets you up over that commercial hump is that if you can prove that your colts are worth buying because they themselves are going to go out there and get fat stallion contracts and be good sires themselves, that makes you so valuable. So many sires aren't able to get to that next extra step. And when you can you see results like this.
1: Bingo. We're talking with Joe Navills, the bloodstock editor from the the Pollock Report. And and, uh, again, uh, and thanks for reminding me of that question. I appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) uh, I I, I just love your writing because it's so much from the heart. When I first met you, God, now it's been about twenty-five years kicking around the paddock at River Downs. I think you were mm-hmm. an intern at the Thoroughbred Times. Was it with Bill Mooney at the time? I forget. Somebody was walking you around. I don't.
4: I don't know if Bill was there or not at the time. Um, but yeah, I think we met when I was interning at yeah Thoroughbred Times. So it would have been about two thousand eight or so.
1: Well, you, you, your love of the game was a, was apparent then, and it only continues. <laughs> Because not only your love of the game continues, but your writing abilities have just excelled over the last decade. And you always seem to find these neat little stories, but a lot of them are personally related. Now, I don't know if this is going to blossom in a story, but... I can smell a good one when I read it. And let me tell you, your your most recent, uh, quote, vacation and your search for Mrs. Murphy, who was named after your grandmother, uh, if you can synapsize it in a couple of minutes, uh, is, it, it turned out to be a good story. And, Joe, when you went into it, did you have any idea what you'd know what the ending was and catch our audience up with what I'm talking about?
4: So I am listed as the official breeder of record on exactly one thoroughbred. Uh, it's a filly named Mrs. Murphy. Uh, she is a product of my grandpa's breeding program. Uh, when he was getting older and needed full-time care, we gave uh, Mrs. Murphy's dam, Janie's Enjoyments, to our trainer uh, on the condition that my grandpa and I would be named co-breeders on uh, Janie's Enjoyments foals. Mrs. Murphy was the first of those folds. So that was obviously very exciting that I got to, you know, have a horse that I had a little bit of skin in the game with, both financially and, you know, get to see her name in the program, which is always very cool. But yeah. she wasn't very talented. So she ran primarily at Pinnacle Race Course. She was a Michigan bred. And she dropped down the ranks pretty quickly, ran in maiden claiming races, and you know, she usually shows some pretty decent run, but can never quite get the job done. She did finally win once. She won a maiden clamor at pinnacle by the skin of her teeth, earned me about a $900 check or so. Um, really cool moment afterward. Uh, my grandpa had dementia very badly and he was in the nursing home at the time and he didn't have much longer at the time that Mrs. Murphy won. And he wasn't very verbal at the time, but we brought in the win picture afterward and he got the smile. He clearly knew what he was seeing and what everything meant. And, you know, he got this sort of rare moment where he came out of the clouds for a bit and said, that's one hell of a horse. And that was something that just always sticks with me that he was able to pick out a winner like that. So she went on and after pinnacle shut down, she went to run a mountaineer for a while and she did better than I expected, but never won again. She retired with only one win. And after that, she went on to become a polo pony. Uh, They look for horses that are very small she is 15. She's, uh, 15.2 in terms of hands, which is quite small for a thoroughbred. And she lives in uh, Rockford, Michigan, where she's a pretty successful polo horse. So during a recent visit home to Michigan, it turns out her barn is about 45 minutes from uh, where I grew up in Edmore. So I went out there to visit her, and she's living the best life possible. They call her Little Mama. Uh, she's got a beautiful barn that she lives in. I took some pictures of her. I hadn't seen her since she was on the racetrack, so it was exciting to see her again and just sort of get to, you know, see another part of my growing up, an important part of my sort of journey in horse racing that's gone on to really live her best life.
1: Come on, Joe. Give us a feature, give us a book. Listen. give us something. I mean that is such i a I, re- I will say I, I I did take my recorder with me to
4: my visit to Mrs. Murphy, and conversations were had. I don't know when I'm going to have time to sit down and write something because we're right in the heart of the busy season between you know i I was up in Michigan because I call it my farewell tour because between Labor Day and Thanksgiving, I don't have time to talk to basically anyone outside of my immediate circle. So I call it my farewell tour to say goodbye to my friends and loved ones for the next three months because between Keeneland September, Keeneland races, phase of October, Breeders' Cup prep, uh, the two big November sales, I'm usually, you know, pedal to the metal for three months straight. So I take this opportunity to take one deep breath before things get really crazy, spend some time with my family, spend some time out in the woods, and... You know, I'm probably not going to have too much time for projects that are sort of longer reaching, but I think this is going to happen at some point, hopefully sooner All rather right. than later.
1: Joe Nevels, you're the best, man. Thank you. <laughs> well, that catches us up, and you're so busy I'm going to let you go because you sound like you're ready to collapse. But, hey, thanks for taking for squeezing winning ponies into your schedule, Joe. I greatly appreciate it. I look forward to the feature story on Mrs. Murphy. Uh, Joe Nevels from the Pollock Report. Uh, I want to remind you also, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can uh, get a hold of Rich Hing. He gave out his personal uh, email uh, over these uh Uh, airwaves. So, thanks so much for joining us. Join us again, and remember, there's only about a hundred ways you can listen to Winning Ponies. Pass the word. It's a pretty good show. All right, everybody, best of luck. Don't forget, great races at parks, uh, uh, Pimlico, uh, $400,000 stakes races, graded stakes races at Aqueduct at Churchill. Pull down your easy win forms, and may all of the luck be with (laughs) you.